as we grew, we took our high performers in certain functional areas and we moved them into management. And like many companies, we didn't necessarily teach them how to be managers or leaders. And again, we looked in the mirror and said, we got to do something a little bit different. Hi, I'm Aaron Levy, and I have this crazy vision of a workplace where your manager doesn't suck, where instead of being the reason you quit your job is actually the reason you stay, where your manager is your coach, helping you to reach your full potential at work. I founded Raise the Bar, wrote Open, Honest, and Direct, and started this podcast to help companies transform their workplace by creating an environment where both the company and employee succeeds. In this podcast, I get to interview leaders who built high-performing teams and learn from them on what it takes to unlock their team's potential. Today, we are lucky to have Devin Gross. In 2003, Devin Gross started as the first salesperson at a pre-revenue healthcare engagement company called ME Solutions. In just six short years, Devin was named by the board to be the CEO, where he went on to grow the company from nearly 35 employees when he started to 200 at the time of the company's acquisition in 2017. In this episode, Devin talks about the challenges and fears he faced going from salesman to CEO overnight and the strategies he implemented to retain and engage his staff as more layers grew between him and the rest of the team. So Devin, you spent 15 years with ME Solutions, a leading patient engagement technology platform, serving as its CEO from 2010 through their acquisition in 2017. I'd love to hear Tell me about your journey at Emmy. How did it start for you and, and what was it like? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Um, so my, my journey at Emmy, I joined in 2010 as the first salesperson. So it was very early stage company. It was pre-revenue, you know, really was out in the market and selling the product and ended up ultimately running sales, led business development. And in 2010, after I had been there for roughly six years, the, the company was you know, trying to figure out what the, the next move was going to be. We had grown the business to about $6 million. We were pre-revenue when I started. You know, we, we had some fits and starts along the way and got the business to, to a point that um, you know, it appeared we had a, a spot on the market, but weren't really sure how we were going to get to the next level. And you know, through, through a lot of good luck and support, the board had asked me to uh, take over as the, the CEO at, at that time and really see if we could take the business to the next level and work to expand in the market. Let me go back. So 2003, you were one of how many employees were on the team when you joined? Ten, somewhere between 10 and, 10 and 13 and uh, was the first person who came in to, to really try to sell the product. So 10 and 13, product wasn't even sold yet. Seven years later, $6 million of revenue. How big's the team then? Maybe we had a team of about 35 to 40 people. And then what happened from 2010, right? They brought you on, they, they promoted you up to CEO to, to see if this company had legs and it, it obviously did. What happened from 2010 to 2017? Great opportunity for me, a great learning experience for me. You came in and the business had been a little bit stagnant and the first things were really to get, get the employees excited about what we were going to do and what our capabilities were and also to get the market excited about what what ME could be. So it was a lot of building energy, building excitement and and getting people to really feel that we were part of something special. 
how do I go about doing that? A lot of one-on-one conversations with our team, a lot of transparency with our team of, you know, here's the reality of where we are financially. Here are the hard decisions we have to make. Here's what the aspirational vision is. And, and here's what, what we can really do. But everyone's really got to get behind this and be part of the group. And told the market the same. Didn't tell the market necessarily our uh, the inner workings of our, our financials and where we were, but really told the market a great aspirational story of of what Emmy could do and how Emmy could help them. Um, and that was a lot of road shows with customers. It was a lot of time out in the field with the team. And it was just a matter of, of building excitement and getting people to believe. Getting people to believe and then having your actions match what you say you're going to do. How long did that take before you started to really see momentum and, and traction um, with your team and with the market? Um, you know, there were, there were a couple things that were going on there. So if you, if you think back to that time, the financial crisis was just coming to an end. The market was beginning to loosen up a little bit. So there were some positive tailwinds. But over that first year, we started to see some nice wins in the market um, and the team started to get excited. And, and the other important thing here was, you know, I was a first time CEO. I was a gamble by the board to put me in that role. And they really needed to see some progress and demonstrable progress before they were going to really let me, um, you know, invest further to take us to the next level. Um, so I would say in that first nine to 12 months was, was we started to win some deals. We got people excited. We had a nice product vision. The board started loosening the reins a little bit and we started hiring some additional talent into the business at both an executive level and a, um, um, and, and kind of an execution level. Some very talented developers, very talented uh, creative people, very talented customer support people. And you really began to see uh, an energy in the, in the company and things start to change within that first nine to 12 months. Wow, that's a, that's a, quick, a quick pivot um, and turnaround. And what was your biggest, I mean, as you said, you were a first-time CEO then and you went from salesman to, to CEO. What was your biggest challenge in transitioning from salesman to CEO? Yeah, that's, I, I, I'm guessing a lot of first-time CEOs have this, but you, you go from being a functional expert in one area and 24 hours later, um, kind of a feeling that you're supposed to know everything. And that was really overwhelming for me initially. And I think one of my, my leadership lessons that took me a little while to learn is when you don't know everything, you become a little bit insecure. And I think that you need to know more and, and, and try to establish yourself as a, a thought leader and in areas that I really didn't have a lot of experience in. And, you know, over time, and this took several years, but realized my goal wasn't to know everything. And it was okay to say that you don't know. And it was okay to turn to the people that you hired as experts and really let them lead that and bring you up to speed uh, with that. And, you know, once I got comfortable with that, I became a much better leader. Um, but that was absolutely the hardest thing of transitioning from a, a functional leader to, a, to the CEO role responsible for all functions and the company as a whole. What did it take for you to come to that realization? You, you realize, or I realized I was not as effective of a leader, especially with my executive team as I wanted to be my my communication my engagement with them was not as um as effective and i was not as you know i was managing a little bit from early on from a little bit more of fear than from collaboration and the fear was more insecurity from me not knowing and and i realized that 
you know, there was, we could have a better relationship and the team could be functioning better. Um, so, you know, I think it's often easy to point to others on the team as the problem. And in this case, you know, I realized I really needed to change what I was doing if we were going to get, get the team operating it to the next level. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. It's like in the moment to step back and say, this could be better. It's not the person that I hired, but it's actually me. Were you seeing signs in just the way people were reacting to you or people saying something to you, or was it just, this isn't optimal? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? You, you, you can sense that people aren't as transparent as you want them to be. Um, and you can sense it in yourself, right? You become, and I became very more contentious in conversation than I wanted to be, right? So you, you, start, you start becoming someone that you haven't been and you realize something's got to change. And it's a slow process, but, but it was a very much a mental process. And, you know, we ended up with a phenomenal team and we, we grew the business significantly over that time. You know, we took it from 16 million to the, the when we were acquired by Walters Core at the end of 2016, it was about a 30 million, $35 million business. And, you know, we added some new team members along the way, but a lot of that team that came in that was either there before with me or that we added soon after were, we were all together for seven years to, to see that success. Wow. That's incredible. And that, I think you're saying something that I hear quite often, which is if you're not true to yourself, if you're not, um, having fun, uh, you're not going to be at your best for your team. And it sounds like that that's somewhat of what you noticed happening in yourself when you were in that, that pivotal transition as a leader. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I, I think there's two parts of that. I think you got to be true to yourself. I think you have to realize what's the most effective way to, to motivate people. And you know, there's, a, there's great talent out there and you hire people because they provide great talent and you've got to really give them the environment to thrive and the and the they have to feel comfortable thriving um, to, to do so. So, so I think there's a couple parts of that. And that's easier done at, at 35 people when you're able to, you know, physically be around and engage and have conversations and talk to people and share. And how did you manage to keep people engaged, excited, comfortable, supported as inevitably more layers grew between you and, and the people executing on the team. And you grew from 35 to, I think at your peak, you're at 150 or something. Um, you know, to we, were close to at the, to uh, we were close to 200 at the, we close to 200 around exit. You know, it, I would say around at 70 people, it becomes hard to know everybody's name. You know, I always tried to at least know what everybody was doing and would walk around a lot and have conversations. But, but you raise a really good point. What we found was we would, as we grew, we took our high performers in certain functional areas and we moved them into management. And like many companies, we didn't necessarily teach them how to be managers or leaders. And we were counting on them to, you know, from to some effect, both manage and trickle down the culture and the excitement, but we didn't teach them how to do it. And again, we looked in the mirror and said, we got to do something a little bit different. And we put, um, we actually brought in outside parties to, to really help us. And we identified first-time managers and we identified future leaders. And we spent a lot of time coaching and training them of what we expected. So it wasn't okay just to be great functional experts, but you had to be, we were preparing the next leaders and teaching them how to be the coaches and the mentors and the, the cheerleaders for the company, both internally and externally. And that was hands down one of the best things we did to scale from a professional development standpoint of our team and also for, from a cultural standpoint within our company. So you, you did like three things that 
I, cause these are the conversations I have with leaders on a daily basis and very rarely are they willing to do the work and energy to, to take all the three steps that you just said, but uh, you, you identified the leaders, which ones were the ones who are going to lead the teams and, and which ones you needed to be pushing the culture and the work and the execution. But then you also said, we didn't, we didn't just identify, we got clear on what our expectations for them was. Right? Our expectations was, this is what this culture is. And you need to continue to pass that down to others. And the expectation is, this is how we lead at Emmy. And then you gave them the training. Right? Usually I see the first step, identification, but the second two steps, very rarely, it's like, here are our expectations for you as a leader. And here are the tools and skills to live into those expectations. Yeah. We, you know, I was fortunate. My, the team was very supportive. I had a phenomenal head of HR. And, you know, we looked at each other and said, it's our fault. It's not, <laughs> when we were frustrated with new leaders or new managers, we're like, it's our fault. It's not their fault. We've never taught them how to do it. And we didn't have the bandwidth to do it ourselves. So it was, uh, it, it just made sense at the time. And, you know, I think a nuance in here, which is something I really believe that leadership and management are different. You know, you could have leaders at any level of the organization. They may not, they may not um, on the org chart have the title or the position or the number of people reporting to them, but they are critical to the organization. And identifying them and empowering them in different ways is, is critical. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Something I, I think we often get stuck on when we're building and growing our companies is we promote people into management roles because that's the way in which they are supposed to grow. Um, that's the identifier of growth as opposed to saying, hey, you could be a leader and you don't actually have to manage people. That might not be your best suited position. It might not be what fills you up, might not be what you want, it might not be what's best for the company. And so what you're saying is really distincting and saying, hey, you can be a leader and not manage people. I mean, that's a big investment of time, energy, I mean, money, obviously, but what I notice is it's even just the, the energy and the time spent in developing and focusing and identifying and that most companies don't do. What do you think was the reason or one of the catalysts for you to, to go down this path? Yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing is we had really good people and I wanted them to stay. And many of them joined us earlier in their careers and they had grown with us. But the only way they were going to stay is we had to give them opportunities to grow. If we didn't do it right, they were going to be frustrated and we were going to be frustrated. And it's a lot more expensive to have to go hire people. And then you also have the unknown. And we had great people that we wanted to thrive. And, it, you know, the investment made, made sense for us. And you saw it, I mean, the way you're talking about it, the assumption is that you saw it on the back end in terms of uh, financial. Yeah, our, retention was, our retention was fantastic. Um, and you had people, you know, we had people, and even today, there many of them are still at Emmy, but running departments and and being leaders, and even those that aren't at Emmy have gone on to to great leadership roles at other at other places, and that's you know that's one of the things I'm most proud of. So that that's how we did it, and and you know well from the work that you do, you know people are always looking for what's next, and if we couldn't be articulate about that and they give them the opportunities and the training for it and it's unknown, people start looking for other jobs. And if we can at least create those paths, give them the tools to do it, they were more likely to stay with us and feel good about staying with us. It's such a great perspective. You know, often you hear, well, what happens if we train them and then they leave? And you just said it, you know, we trained them and we put them in positions to lead at our company or lead at another company. And right, what happens if you don't train them? 
what happens if you don't right. give them the tools and skills? Then you don't have leaders within your organization and you're not growing people to be better when they leave. And, and I think it, you know, what I'm hearing from you is, hey, we wanted people to be better as a result of being at Emmy, and we were going to make that happen. And hiring is really, really hard at all levels. You know, I'm, I'm going to pick a number and it's probably not an accurate number, but let's say you're 50% successful. And, you know, we made the mistake lots of times where we'd hire and we'd hire because the resume and we hired because they thought they had the experience, but they didn't fit into our organization. And where we really just had phenomenal talent and people do wonderful is when we, and, and you know, I was, I was the beneficiary of the same approach. We took people, we threw them into the deep water. They were smart people. They figured it out and they executed really well. And we were much better at that than we were going to find talent outside to come into to management and leadership positions. Which is a huge, important lesson. I'm sure you're thinking about this with your current organization. And so what you're saying yep. is just much more advantageous to spend a portion of that money training, developing, throwing them in the deep water and, and building up. And, and you also knew what you were good at. So I'm now a, a Sonar MD as the CEO there, and we're building that from the ground up. The founder and I actually went out and hired a couple of very experienced executives to build the company, but knew they had the culture and the skill sets to, to, to really get us to where our vision was. But we're surrounding them with younger or less, less experienced people that we really envision being able to grow with the business um, and take leadership roles as, as we do. So it's, it's very much of a pyramid model. Um, and we have the top of the pyramid and we've surrounded people with uh, outside advisors that have experience in the industry that we know we trust, we like. So they're getting coaching, they're getting mentoring, and they have the opportunity to build something from scratch. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's thus far, it's been a really nice recruiting opportunity or recruiting tactic. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, to, to be able to be a part of something, to be able to grow something, I think when you look at millennials and the generation is we want, we want to know the work we're doing makes an impact. We want to feel connected to, to what's happening within the company and our team. And, and we want to feel like the company cares about our growth. And what you're saying is all of those things, right? We care about your growth. We're going to make sure you're connected. We're going to make sure you're supported uh, with good mentors, advisors. And, um, and we think about you as the, as the future of this business. So along, along this journey where you, you've clearly learned a lot, what would you say was your biggest fuck up? It was early on what we talked about. I think it was not in the beginning feeling that I had to have all the answers. And just because you had the CEO title meant you, you know, you ruled with an iron fist and realizing, not realizing that sooner that it was okay to acknowledge that it's okay not to know and, and really empower others to lead and take the business, take control of aspects of the business. You mentioned something earlier, but I, I just, uh, I'll ask it again. What were you most proud of? What have you been most proud of with your work? Um, you know, the, the fact that so many people stayed with us a long time, so many people grew into roles and, you know, you look around now and you look at members of the ME executive team or either senior executives within a much larger company now or are in really great positions outside of Emmy is what I'm most proud of. It's a, it's a legacy there. That's really cool. And we, you know, we were, we were fortunate and the business had, you know, a couple nice exits and, it, you know, I think it was, it was great for our investors, which you want to be able to do when you're angel backed and private equity backed. And I think we made a big difference in the market. 
So we, we changed the way things were done, which was, which was fun. And, you know, we're trying to do that again at Sonar. Oh, that's awesome. And that's exciting. And I'm excited to hear and see how you take and build and grow Sonar. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your advice um, and your stories and your lessons. And this was a really awesome podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, leave us a review. And as always, drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers and have a great day.